Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. It's not often that you have someone who is akin to a superhero. This guy helps save the world, the world's most ambitious people from themselves. See, I got all excited thinking about the superhero context. He is a professional coach, and he's also a former worldwide director of finance at Apple. And you can find him on LinkedIn at Rusty. Gaylord, G-A-I-L-L-A-R-D, but you can find him right here, right now on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Rusty, how are you today? Man, I am great. Uh, any day where I get called a superhero, I mean, there's not many, many of those in my life, so thank you. <laughs> what well, no, I, I love the headline, your LinkedIn headline, helping save the world's most ambitious people from themselves. So let's go there. Let's, let's, uh, that's a great place to start. When you look at ambitious people, and you've been around a lot, and we'll get into your career and your life here in just a little bit, you've been around a lot of people who are ambitious people. What's the number one thing that, am, that you see in ambitious people that is most scary to you about their personality? Wow, what a great question. Um, well, it, it, and I can answer this because I th this has been me and this is the way I live my life for so long. Um, that I think the thing that is most scary, um, and, and it's really the reason that I got into the business that I'm in, is that the most ambitious people can get very narrow-minded in their path to success. And of course, focus is always a good thing. But when you assume there's only one way to travel that path, there's only one journey, and for most of the, the kind of ambitious people I'm talking about, like the people that I worked with when I worked at Apple for 13 years, uh, the people I went to business school with, like all these people, most of them, their path to success is more, better, faster, right? I got to get, get more done. I have to be faster than anyone else. I have to be smarter or better than any other, other people. And it's really this kind of hard driving, competitive, nose to the grindstone kind of mindset. And... Um, you know, I lived that way. I lived that way for a lot of years. And I just, I have come to appreciate that there is more to life than holding your nose on the grindstone. And you can have a, a you can still have a, you can have a wonderful life and even a better life when you start to consider other ways of navigating it. I'm writing this down. More ways to life than a nose to the grindstone mentality. And, and you mentioned that you are around a lot of those types in your career. I, I got to think that those people, and, and a lot of people would, would say, Rusty, that's a type A personality. I have a lot of that in, in myself. And, and a lot of us were kind of taught that way by our parents. You know, you, you, you show up every day. You punch that clock from, from eight to five or from seven to six or whatever, you know, the, the stories are, you know, mom and dad work in 10, 12 hour days and they, impat, they ingrain that on. And it's like a rite of passage between parents and children. What is the danger of the nose to the grindstone mentality that you saw? 
Well, the danger is that people get stuck. And so that's really the origin of this helping save the world's most ambitious people from themselves, because you get stuck believing this is the only way to do it. And, you know, especially at these kind of very successful and um, attractive places to work like Apple. And I live in yeah. Silicon Valley, right? So Google and Facebook, like all these companies are here. And I live in Hillbilly, West Virginia. So Silicon Valley is like, you know, the moon to us, you know, I, I bet you, you don't have cars on cinder blocks in your front yard. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come visit you, Brian. We we can do it. We can do an exchange. Hey, Rusty, I'd love around. to come visit you as well, too, because Silicon Valley is yeah. beautiful. And I can walk outside and look at the creek behind my backyard. It has the tires that are keeping the hillside from sliding. Yeah. They were put there 50 years ago. So we'll, we'll exchange some natural beauty. But no, yes. I, I didn't mean to, to jump in there and I, I incorporate some humor. But I, the, the grindstone mentality. I'm fascinated by that because you, you, you do see that a lot in, in, in tech, in, in Silicon mm -hmm. Valley. I mean, yep. it, it almost feels like, and, and people that I've talked to out there and I've had several on the intentional encourager podcast, it's a resonating theme of if you don't work 80 to hundred hours a week, you're not going to advance very far in that world. Or if you're not willing to make the sacrifices of seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, that there, there's something inherently wrong with you because you don't want to do that. And I was reading something in the Bible the other day, Rusty. Jesus was talking about, you mentioned the grindstone. Jesus was talking about, be careful that the, the, the grindstone, basically who it falls on, it crushes to powder. And that's what a grindstone does. If, you, if you're familiar with millworking years ago, they would take the, the wheat and run it through the grindstone, and that's how the wheat became flour. It was just ground into powder like that. When you saw that mentality first and, and up close and personal, what was your first reaction? And I'm sure you saw some, some friends of yours that got to that point of almost grinding to powder, so to speak, emotionally and physically and, and in their career path. Absolutely. I mean, I, the, the, um, I, one of the things you said, Brian, is that uh, this idea of, you know, working really hard, working long hours, not only because that's what's required to, to move forward in your career, but also because it's just the norm or the expectation. And it almost becomes a badge of honor to say, you know, yeah, I was on a call until two in the morning last night. Like, look, look what I'm doing. Um, as if that's a that's a something to be proud of, or you know that's a sign of success. So the long hours, always on email, taking your computer with you when you go on vacation, um, never really having any downtime, you know, putting the kids to go bed and going back to work afterwards so that you can catch up on email and all the things you have to do. All of these things are they're very commonplace, and I see them all around me. I saw them all around me when I was working, and I still see them today in the people I work with. And it's that, um, you know, it's this, it's it just fundamentally you, you come to, I came to this point in my life where I asked, what am I doing here? Yeah. You know, and it's a very existential question, but you know, in a very practical sense, why am I spending these hours toiling away and committing myself to this company? And Apple's a great company, but like really when I'm 90 or 80 years old, whenever that day comes and I look back on my life and I say, I invested 
this many, you know, 15 years of my life or potentially 25 if I had continued to do this? And to what end? What do I really have to show for it? And what did I give up in order to do that? And so just starting to think about these questions, you know, life is precious. Um, one of my clients said to me, you know, hey, I, I could, I blinked and five years went by. And I don't want the next five years to go by in a blink. Like I want to be more intentional with what I'm doing in my life. And when you're not, when you get sucked into that thing, the grindstone, as you said, just grinds you down to powder, which can be, you know, that can manifest either in it, like a feeling exhausted and overwhelmed and, you know, depressed, but it can also just kind of show up and being just bored in the monotony of you yeah. know, doing the same thing over and over again. And you blink and five years goes by. It's like, holy crap. What what's going on with my life? What am I doing? Well, no, and I love what you and, and I looked at your LinkedIn profile, and I want to read something off of that because it, it is so applicable to what we're talking about right now. You say this, you say you upgrade the OS, your operating system, on your phone every year, and most people do it two or three times a year. When is the last time you upgraded your operating system for life? And that is so powerful, Rusty, because again. I think a lot of people just think as long as the phone works, everything's cool. As long as everything works, we're good. As long as I'm not in the hospital, as long as I'm not overly stressed out and things like that. And the problem is there's a reason you upgrade your operating system on your phone is because your battery optimization may not be as good as it needs to be. Your, 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 your phone is slowing down right before your eyes and you can't even see it. And I love that metaphor to you when you think about the operating system in life. What's the one thing that should be optimized at all times in a person's internal operating system? It's a super interesting question. I don't know that I have one specific answer to that. I, maybe I'll come back to it. I have a thought, but the 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 notion of an operating system is is so powerful because most of the way you navigate the world, you, me, everybody, most of the way we navigate the world is by habit and routine, right? And you think about like, what do you do when you get up in the morning? You probably have the same pattern of things. Uh, when you brush your teeth, what are you doing as you're standing there in front of the mirror? I'm sure you have a pattern. When you put your pants on, which leg do you put in first? I mean, it's like, there's so many ways in which we navigate life, but it goes beyond just those kind of mundane habits about brushing your teeth and putting your pants on. It goes to how are you feeling when you wake up? What are you thinking about work? What do you think is possible for you? Do you even consider there could be something else you're doing besides getting up and going to this job every day? Like, do you even think about that question? So the, you know, your, your question about like, what is the number one thing that you, you need to look at here is just, I would say it's really about routine because we fall into this routine. We're creatures of habit and, you know, our brain is actually optimized to make things easy, which is to make habits and routines because it takes too much energy to think about everything all the time, yeah. which I'm sure you remember the first time you drove a car. For me, it was overwhelming. I was like, how do I do all of this stuff at the same time? Like, I can't, I can't yeah. think about all of it. And, you know, that's why your brain is really good at making things easy and habitual. And so your life becomes easy and habitual. And so just recognizing that tendency and just taking a pause periodically to ask, hey, if I were going to upgrade my life, if I were going to have something better and you know, even better, even more energizing and rewarding for me in my life, what would that be? Just getting curious about that. 
and recognizing that it's possible. I mean, that that's probably the starting point of any kind of forward progress. You know, I'm I'm sitting here thinking about a couple of things as you said that. the The first thing is, I think people, Rusty, and and let's 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 use the phone analogy because it's a, it's a brilliant analogy. A lot of people plug their phone up every night, and they turn it on the next morning, and they go, "Okay, it works. It's on. Everything's good." The same way we, you know, we come, you know, we go to work every morning. We come in at night, we have dinner with our family, we sit down, then we get ready to go to bed. And it's like, okay, I'm going to rest and recharge and get ready for the next day. As long as I get up, everything is good. Not understanding that, you know, that that phone that you charge every night, you know, you're going to wake up one morning and it's not going to charge as well. You'd be like, oh, I plugged this thing up. Why isn't it charging like it needs to? You know, I've done it the same way over and over. Why isn't it charging like it needs to? Or you're talking about the upgrade. Somebody that goes, you know, I've had this phone for a year. It's time to get another one. They get that internal sense of of when they see it, it's like, oh, I've got to upgrade because I've got my phone doesn't have this or my phone doesn't have that. And it's almost like we don't stop and really take inventory of what we need in, in, in that phone, what we really need, you know, we've got 150 apps and we use 20 of them, you know, or, and, and keep it, I, Rusty, I remember my dad, when my dad got an iPhone for the first time, it was like, and, and forgive me for, for, for using this analogy. And my dad, if he were here would laugh at it, but it was like watching a monkey do algebra. <laughs> my dad was so lost. My dad's the only person that I know that willingly gave up an iPhone for something else because it was just, it, it was just too far above his head, but no, it, but that brings up a good point. When is it time to really think about the upgrades in our life? Is it when we notice slower performance in your opinion or should we take those opportunities once a year to really examine and say, okay, is it time for me to move to the next level? Is it time for me to step up? Or is what I'm doing, should I just maintain for a little while longer and then make that jump? I, I hope I'm asking that question correctly. Yeah, I think it's a great question. And, and my answer is both. I think with any of these things, it's really useful to have a scheduled, deliberate point in your life where you check in. You can do that on your birthday. You can do it on, you know, around New Year's, which is when a lot of people do it. But to, to have a moment, not just to set a goal for where you're going, but to actually do some reflection. Do, for, do some reflection on where are you? What's working in your life? Because everybody has things that are working well in their life. And what's not working in your life? And what would you like to have different? So having that on a periodic basis is super helpful. And paying attention along the way is also useful because, you know, chewing a check-in once a year is great, but you want to kind of pay attention as you're going through your life. And as you said, like with your phone, sometimes you notice hey, my battery is not charging the way it used to. So you can notice those kinds of things in yourself. Like, are you feeling more tired? Are you not energized when you wake up in the day? Do you feel like you should be like, you like your life should be pretty good because from the outside, everything seems 
seems to look good, but inside there's a disconnect. Like you feeling like, mm, I'm not as happy as I want to be, or there's something missing in my life or I go to work every day, but it's I'm just so like, glad you said out. that. I got to jump in here. Living where I live in West Virginia, you make such a brilliant point. Years ago, when I was recruiting kids for, for a, a private university, I would go to these homes. I would go to the kids' home. And on the outside, everything looked great. It had boats and, you know, boat in the driveway and a, and a big four by four and, you know, all the toys. And you walk inside and it's like a bomb went off inside there. Everything was in disarray. It's like, oh, let me move this stuff out of the way so you can have a place to sit down. <laughs> the furniture was falling apart. You know, the, the holes in the wall. And, and, and it was like, at times people were more interested on how the outside looked than how the inside looked. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that you brought that up as far as, you know, if you, if you've got a, you know, when, when you build a house, when you buy, when you get a house, you, you, you get those settlement cracks and you know, it's like, okay, well, the house is settling. If you decide to ignore those cracks, guess what? They're going to get bigger. And in your house that you just built is going to start to fall apart around you. And I love, I had to jump in there. Forgive me, Rusty. I had to jump in there because you were just hitting on something really profound of scheduling that maintenance, that preventative maintenance. Why do phone manufacturers, and you're a great person to ask this. Why do manufacturers schedule upgrades? Yeah. Well, you schedule an upgrade because you, um, if you don't put a deadline on it, you never do it. <laughs> I mean, if you think it's the, uh, you know, software developers always have this because you never get everything done by the deadline. So there's always a temptation to push the deadline out, but you have a deadline so that you get your product out the door and into the hands of the users. And you can think about that same thing with yourself um, I have a tendency to, to want to keep working on stuff. Um, you can call it a perfectionist habit if you want to, but this idea of <clears throat> I want to just, you know, keep polishing, keep honing, make sure I get it right. And I, I see that with other people also when they're thinking about their life, when they're saying, you know, there's some part that like, I'm not really happy in my job, but I don't really know what I want to do. And so they end in this, they end up in this cycle where they're cycling around trying to figure out what they want to do, but they're not going anywhere in the meantime, right? Because there's no deadline. There's no, I'm going to make a decision by this point and then I'm going to move forward. And you can't, you may have heard the expression, you can't steer a car that's not moving. Yeah. Now you can turn the wheel all you want, but the car is always going to be pointing in the same direction because it's not going anywhere. So you have to be in motion in order to, to adjust and change course, which means you got to make a call. You've got to set a, get a deadline and you've got to move forward. And that's the same thing that happens in software development or any kind of product development. You set a deadline and you ship it. And, you know, you can, we can really leverage that same approach with ourselves is give ourselves a deadline. If there's something not working in your life and you've got a desire for something to change, make a decision and move. You yeah. may not be, may not be the perfect decision. You may learn afterwards, like, oh, I wish instead of going, you know, this direction, I had gone slightly in a different direction. That's fine. Adjust course. But you never would have known that if you hadn't taken the first step. Well, see here in this area, Rusty, before we can steer a car that's not moving, we have to cut the grass around it. <laughs> and then we have to take it off the cinder blocks and then actually put tires on it and make sure there's gas that's not 10 years old 
in that car to, to where we can actually get that thing moving. So and we'll step aside, take a break. We'll be back in just a moment here with, with Rusty Gaylord on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Rusty, I got to ask you this in your profile. You talk about inner technology. Ooh, that's so good. The inner technology of a good life. I want you to go there for a couple of minutes and talk about the inner technology, because again, I, I got a sense that it has to do with the way we're wired and the way that we're, we're made and everybody is made differently, but I, I don't want to put words in your mouth and try to guess it. Talk about inner technology. Yeah, it, it is about the way we're wired and it's, but it's not, it's not genetic. So I, I want to make that point because it's super important. It's not that you are this way and you're stuck that way and that's who you are, right? Like, yes, you have the body you have and that's true. But the inner technology is much more about your operating system, your code, your way of thinking, your beliefs, your thought patterns. And that comes, that's how you can say that's how we're wired, but that wiring comes from our environment. It comes from the family we grew up in, from the people around us, from school, from our yeah. jobs, from bosses, our spouse, all of these things around us influence the way we see and react to the world. So what you consider to be an opportunity or not. So, you know, just take, take this in, as an example. Um, somebody offers you a job for $150,000. Some people will see that as a great opportunity. Oh my gosh, I've never earned that much in my life. Could I even do that? Am I worth 150,000? Right? They'll have a whole set of reactions to it. Other people will have this reaction saying, well, I already earned way more than that. Why would I want to take a job for 150,000? Like, so for some people, it's a huge step up. For others, it's a step down. Your initial reaction to that, that happens in the snap of a finger, it's how quickly you work, is based on your life experience. It's your operating system, your inner technology. And that's just a simple example about a job. When, you know, I, an example that I lived through is when I told people at Apple that after more than 13 years, I was well-respected in my job. I was an expert in my field. And I told them I'm walking away to start my own consulting business as a coach. And some people thought that was inspiring and exciting. And other people looked at me like I was crazy. Like, how could you walk away from one of the best companies in the world, a really good job where you're paid well, you're, you're an expert, it's a stable, reliable paycheck, and you're going to walk away from that? You're crazy. So again, your response to something like that, when you hear it, 
is a reflection of your inner technology. It's how you process information and react to the world. And that will determine what you see as a possibility or as a threat. It will determine what you think is possible for you and what you think is impossible. So once you start to understand that, you recognize that there's no very little absolute truth to these situations that are going on in the world. But it's much more about your response to them. And someone else can have a totally different response to that exact same situation. There's no right or wrong in that. It's just different. And so you can investigate, how am I responding to the world around me? And is that serving me? Is that helping me to achieve the kind of life that I want to achieve? Well, and, and again, I love what you said about, about external factors determining internal reasoning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or, or let's go, let's go this way. Internal factors determining, you know, external factors determining internal feelings, because there are times, and, and I love what you said there about being overwhelmed. There are times that people say, are they talking about me? Someone wants to give me this money or someone wants to do this with me or collaborate with me. And you almost feel like, man, are are you sure it's me? Do you got the right, you got the right guy here or gal? Or some people go, yeah, you know what? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt and, and I'm good. I think everybody has to process things. And, and I love what you said about money, about compensation, because a lot of people tie their value, Rusty, to compensation. They tie their internal value to what someone externally puts on them instead of that intrinsic internal value going, well, you know what? I think I'm worth more. And I tell people, Rusty, and I would love to get your opinion on this. I'm going to go a little bit off the, the rails a little bit. Sure. Let's go. I tell people quite often, always be willing to declare yourself a free agent. And at the time we tape this, I don't, I don't know if you're a big sports fan. You can see I'm, I'm wearing an ESPN pullover. It's the day before NFL free agency. And there are guys out there that are testing the market. They may have a really good situation where they are, but someone says, I'm willing to pay you more money, and here's how we plan to use you on this team. And this was what we, what we see you with on this team. And then they have to make a decision whether or not they want to give up what they know for what they don't know, but there's more compensation there. And the value is tied to that. And I tell people, I'm like, look, I think it's a great thing at times to declare yourself a free agent. Not that you leave, but that you look. When you're talking about that that concept, I want to bounce that off of you. What part of the inner technology is responsible for, for us making a good decision there? Because a lot of people would step out and go, I don't know about that. I've got something good, but the enticement of possibly something better. Is there a component that people in your experience tend to use when making those types of decisions? Yeah. So, so one very simple thing is as you're looking at out there, as you're looking at the possibilities, do you focus more on the possibility or do you focus more on the problem? Because there's in any new situation, you get to choose. Are you going to focus on what's possible or are you going to focus on all the ways it can go wrong? All the things that could fall apart. 
you know, we as people are biologically wired, well, as, as animals, actually, we're biologically wired to look for danger because we want to stay alive. So our brain is always on the lookout for danger, which means when you're confronted with a new situation, when you have that as a possibility, your brain will automatically go to all of the risks, all of the problems, all the ways things can go wrong. But this is a way that you can use your inner technology. You can be deliberate about where you want to focus. And instead of focusing on all the bad things, focusing, focus instead on all the possibilities. Where could this lead me? How could this be a good thing in my life? And is it actually a step forward? Because we, uh, if you don't do that, it's just you can get trapped in you never move. And this is why that this phrase, like the good is the enemy of great, because, hey, it's good. And I'm not willing to give up good because there's some unknown with giving up good. Uh, and that's where that phrase comes from because people aren't don't go for great because it's good enough how it is. Were you scared to give up good when you were leaving Apple? Because again, Of course. I, I, well, and the, and the reason I say that and people are going to go, Brian, th that's a duh question. Here's where I'm going with that. When you were when you were when you were talking about that situation and we'll get in depth in that here in just a moment. You said I walked in. And I said, I'm leaving this company after 13 years to, to go and be a coach. And people were looking at you like, are you nuts? You want, we were with one of the best companies in the world. You could retire from Apple if you wanted to do that. And, 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 you know, I have, I have to ask that because in, in natural, in, in natural thinking, the fear is, yeah, I, I'm, I'm taking a risk here. I didn't sense that on your face when you were talking about that. I sensed excitement. And I think a lot of times when people do take that risk, there is something internally that says, you know what, uh, darn the torpedoes to, 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 uh, to, to quote a, to kind of twist the quote a little bit, but darn the torpedoes, you know, basically it's full speed ahead mm -hmm. and the excitement of going full speed ahead is far more, it, it overtakes the fear that's within us. And so that's why I had to ask you that question because I could see on the outside, all the, all the stop signs of going, you know, why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? But when you were answering that question a few minutes ago, and if you're watching on YouTube, your facial reaction was not one of, I had some, some doubts. It was, I'm going to go do this. And doggone it, I'm resolved to do it. It's kind of like that old the old Stuart Smalley, um, Al Franken's character on Saturday Night Live. Stuart Smalley was the guy that says, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and yeah. doggone it, people like me. So he was telling himself in the mirror that, you know, he was just going to go full speed ahead with it. I, I want to step aside real quick and take a break. And when we come back, I want to hear as much of that story as you'll tell us and in and, and other parts of your life, there's some other things that you've, some over, some obstacles that you've overcome. And so I want to hear about that with Rusty Gaylord here on the Intentional Encourager podcast back in a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. I want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. 
my dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew. And he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger deeper and more powerful connector. You've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up. Kindle, if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email. And I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of people buy from people. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Rusty, let's go now into your incredible story. And I was perusing uh, some of it and, and, and I admire your transparency. I was, I was reading a little bit of your LinkedIn profile. I just loved the transparency and I thank you for, for being so transparent. I know we had, you know, we were talking back and forth before we set this up. And, and so I want to get into your incredible story. Take me as far back as you want to take me from point A to, to how you got here today and just, just tell your story. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that have been echoes of that in our conversation already. Um, and one of the things you talked about is the, you know, the houses look, look great on the outside with the boat parked out front and all that, but you go inside and there's, it's a mess. I did not grow up in a house like that, but I did grow up in a house that everything looked good on the outside, but there was no conversation about our lives. There wasn't a lot of, you know, this is what I'm struggling with, or I'm sad, or I'm you know, frustrated. It was just, a, we kind of grew up with a, you know, pick yourself up and keep going. Make progress, move forward. Uh, that was the mindset and the mentality that I grew up in, which served me well for a long time. Uh, you know, I went to great schools, I had great jobs, um, I got married, had my, my son was born. But it became a challenge for me when my, I started having challenges in my marriage, um, and the problem was I didn't really have anyone to talk to, and I didn't know how to talk about it because I didn't grow up that way. So I didn't talk about it with my family. I never talked about kind of real conversations with my friends uh, because that was foreign to me. So I ended up in this, this difficult place in my marriage with no one to talk to. Um, ultimately, I ended up getting divorced and through that process built a support network. And I built this by talking to people, by going places, by participating in groups, really learning how, what, is it, what does it look like to actually share a little bit more about myself. And I want to circle back to what you were talking about, about fear and excitement. Um, I mean, you said that, you know, forget the torpedoes, I'm, I'm moving yeah. forward. But the, it's not that the fear goes away. Uh, it, it's just that the desire to move forward is greater than the fear. And I was in that place when I was learning to talk about my life with other people that terrified me. I didn't want to tell people that I was afraid and sad and devastated and heartbroken. I felt like the a complete failure in my life when I got divorced. Um, but it, 
I hadn't really experienced that, but it just felt like falling flat on my face. Rusty, let me ask you this, because a lot of people that have no one to talk to a lot of times have those conversations with themselves because you're always accessible to yourself. And we've kind of put a stigma around talking to yourself. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you say, oh, you know, it's like the the, the homeless guy there that just keeps muttering and, you know, he's he, he just got a screw loose or something like that. And I don't mean to, to, to demean anyone like that, but that's been the stigma in our society and and it's really it what it really comes down to is it's such loneliness that you don't feel like you have anyone to talk to to your point that you just have to release the emotions that you feel inside whether it's just by yourself in the car or or what have you i dealt with that when when my dad passed away suddenly i i i didn't i wanted to to hold up this strong outer shell but man, there were so many times that I would be in the van or a car by myself and I would just talk and let my emotions out. Growing up in a house for you where everything was internalized, looking back, how did that affect your marriage in, in that situation? Was it hard for you when disagreements happened to really verbalize and express how you felt in those moments? And do you feel like that might have contributed? And I don't mean to be overly personal but how did that contribute to to the to the marriage ultimately ending it, it definitely contributed 100 percent um i i remember i used to think that i was the kind of person who never got angry um because i outwardly i didn't get angry i just i never really had that that fire that built up but i've come to appreciate that of course i get angry everybody gets angry it's just i never learned how to identify that and express it and anger serves a really valuable purpose in any kind of relationship and in our life in general. It tells us when there's something going on that we don't like. Now, of course, what you do with your anger is critical. And using being able to be angry without acting angry and without damaging or hurting other people is critical. And that's a skill you have to learn. But knowing that you're angry and being able to understand, notice it, and say, hmm, what do I not like about this situation? Yeah. What can I do differently? I did not have that ability. And so, of course, it impacted my, my marriage. Because, you know, as in any relationship, things happened I didn't like. But I just, I, I didn't even recognize it. I couldn't articulate it. I just, and so I just kind of plowed through it. And, um, you know, it just, as you, as you imagine, with it, just the whole thing kind of disintegrated. Well, and again, I love what you said there about, Anger is a valuable resource because we've been conditioned to say, no, don't get angry. Don't get upset. You know, I want to step back too to what you said a few minutes ago about the way you grew up. I grew up real similar. My dad was the kind of guy, he was a firm disciplinarian. We got spanked. Nothing bad happened to me. I turned out fine. But my dad would always say when I would start crying because I was hurt emotionally and things like that my dad would always say, dry it up. And it hurt me after my dad passed away because I still felt that voice saying, no time to cry, got to go to work. No time to grieve, got to go to work. And so you you understand, and, 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 and my heart reaches out to you in that because I understand that. Mm -hmm. it, it's that sense of everything's good on the outside, and, and on the inside, it's like, oh, man, I just don't feel right. 
take me to the moment that you felt that freedom when you finally built that support network and you really felt that freedom to just be an emotional being and just say, you know what, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I've gone through, but, but I'm getting to where I'm pushing to the step that I want to be to where I'm whole because a lot of people don't realize, and forgive me for the long windedness of the question. A lot of people don't realize rusty that it's a process when you're broken, there's a process to getting whole. And, and I can see that in, in the way you were describing that. Take me to the moment when you finally felt whole emotionally. Oh, uh, the, the story that comes to mind, Brian, is, is when I was sitting in a, it was a big conference room with, I don't know, hundreds of people in it. I was at a, some kind of event and they had his buddy up. So you paired up with the person next to you. And then the person said, okay, just giving instructions. They said, okay, turn to the person next to you and tell them something that you've never told anyone in your life. And when they said that you could, there was this ripple of anxiety that Ray went through the room. You could just feel everybody say, oh my goodness, what did they just say? Oh boy. Yeah. And then, but yeah. then the presenter said, oh, I'm just kidding. It's okay. That's not what we're going to do. But in I imagine there moment, was fainting and, and things like that, oh. you know. Yeah, absolutely. But, but in that moment, the, here's, here's the thing that, that I, was so interesting to me. You know what I realized in that moment? There was nothing left that I had not told someone in my life. I had, and so this came, and this was, that's why like this moment for me epitomizes that sense of feeling good about myself, that I didn't have anything left to hide, but I got there through a lot of uncomfortable moments. Uh, again, that desire and to be free and to be the person I want to be outweighed my fears and my, you know, embarrassment and my shame and all the reasons why I would not want to talk about something. But I brought myself to a point where I said, I'm unwilling to carry that around anymore. I'm unwilling to be ashamed and embarrassed and held back. And so I'm going to talk about this stuff that's uncomfortable. And it was very uncomfortable, but I talked about it with the people who are closest to me so that I could move through it. And that's why that moment in the, uh, in the conference room stands out to me so much because, you know, I'm surrounded by hundreds of people, you know, fainting and, you know, wiping their brow and, yeah. you know, oh my goodness, what's being asked of me. And I was like, huh, there's nothing left. That's pretty cool. People suddenly having to go to the restroom, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden I, I have to go to, no, I have to go to the restroom things like that. I, that, that would be me. I'd be diving out the door, you know? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I want to find out. I want to, I want to, to ask you about your journey to Apple. You, you were a part of one of the most innovative companies on the planet. And I wrote about this in, in my book, people buy from people, you know, when, when Steve jobs developed the iPhone, I don't think he realized how, how impactful he was going to be to communication as a whole, because for the first time you could reach across the globe. And again, you're 3000 miles away from me. I can see you. You can see me. We, we are talking face to face. I don't think he realized the impact that he was going to have almost two decades later. Take me to the journey of how you got to Apple and what, what was the single biggest thing you learned from working in your time at Apple? 
I got to Apple because uh, I w- at the time I was working at PG&E, which is the electric and gas utility here in San Francisco area. And they, when I joined PG&E, they were bankrupt. And it was a fascinating time to be there because they were trying to figure out how do they emerge from bankruptcy and what do we need to do differently? And I was in the middle of that work. So it was fascinating. In the end, they emerged from bankruptcy and fundamentally nothing really changed. They came out more or less the way they went into bankruptcy and went back to business as usual, which for an electric and gas utility appropriately is keeping the lights on and being well positioned in case something goes wrong to get the lights back on. And it just, it was very conservative, kind of slow moving environment. And it was not a good fit for me. I just found that I, I didn't like it there. So I, I had a friend who was working at Apple at the time, and he just talked about it all the time. He loved it. He was very excited about it. And uh, I just really came to believe in the company. And this was in 2005 is when I started there, before the iPhone was launched, in the peak of the iPod, when the iPod was the most popular tech gadget around. Uh, and I was just excited to be there. The Macintosh was one of the first computers I had. And, you know, I just like, I had this place in my heart for Apple. Uh, so I just, you know, I, I wanted to work there and I found my way there, uh, through my friend and introduction he made also finding networking through my business school classmates and just doing everything that I could to get a job there and work at Apple. Um, and it was wonderful and just such a great place to live, uh, to work, not live <laughs> Freudian slip. Yeah, there you go. The, um, in terms of the thing that I learned the most, um, I guess one of the things that, you know, I'm not sure how much I appreciated this at the time, but now that I look back and I see it like Steve Jobs was, had a lot of wisdom. And, you know, one of the things that he said is when he was asked one time about what he was most proud of, he said he was most proud of the things that he said no to more than the things that he said yes to, because there's so much that shows up in life that's interesting and attractive and appealing and could be a great idea. And we all have limited resources. We only have 24 hours in a day. You know, we've got a certain amount of energy and attention. And he invested that on the things that really move the needle. And there's such a lesson in that, I think for all of us, to, to think about what moves the needle for you and are you investing in that, in that thing? You know, whether that's, I love music or I love to be outside or I love cooking, or, you know, I love sports, whatever it is, but just to really look at, does your interest and fulfillment from these activities match your time investment? Yeah. Or are you the kind of person who's like, I love sports, but I don't ever get outside. Um, and, and so if you have to look for those mismatches and just back to this, this thing from Steve Jobs is how do you say yes to the things that really matter? And that means saying no to some other things. And you had a front row seat. I I, I want to ask you this real quick before we pivot. You had a front row seat. You you were talking about getting there in 05. You saw arguably, I think when, when it's all said and done, just my opinion, I think when it's all said and done, the iPhone, when you write the history of the 21st century, the iPhone has to be in the top three inventions of of the 21st century i mean it changed everything mm-hmm. in communication did you guys know that you were on the cusp of something that revolutionary or what would can can you very quickly take me through 
that time at Apple because it's very rare that we get an, an inside peek, you know, peek behind the curtain to a powerful moment in history. But I, I'm picturing in my mind's eye remembering Steve Jobs coming out and saying, here's an iPhone. And people are going, what in the world is this? And there's that famous, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of The Office, so it's the famous, uh, they're launching the Sabre product and it's the little triangle and it's like the iPhone knockoff and, you know. But what was that moment like in history and being a part of one of the most revolutionary product launches in history? It was exciting. It was very exciting to be there. Um, I don't think anybody, you know, at least I, I didn't work directly with Steve Jobs, but among the people that I worked with, everyone was very excited about it. But I don't know that anybody could have anticipated the kind of impact that it's had. As you said, it's been, it was transformational in terms of the capabilities and the way we communicate and, and live today. One of the things I think is so fascinating about it, though, is that like with anything, not it didn't all go according to plan. You, you can read some of the uh, some of the some of the information that's in Steve Jobs' bi bio biography that talks about you know the demo he did of the iPhone and just like the hoops they had to jump through just to get the thing to work on the demo. But even beyond that, you know, when the one of the things that I was responsible for was with the iPhone was a Bluetooth headset. So when the iPhone launched, the original iPhone, there was also a little Bluetooth headset that was launched with it. Most people have no idea that even existed because it was a flop. Like it, it, yeah. it wasn't well, you know, it was, it was late to get developed and launched. So it didn't launch at the same time as the iPhone. It wasn't well advertised together. Very few people bought it a year later. It was shut down as a product. So, you know, at the same time as this monumental earth changing product was introduced, this other product was introduced alongside with it that, that didn't happen at all. It was a total flop. And almost 10 years later, the AirPods were introduced. And if you have AirPods, you know, the little, um, you know, the little, little headset, head, headset, this little guy, Yeah. they, uh, you know, they're a runaway success. All sorts of people have them. You see them all over the place. They look phenomenally like that original Bluetooth headset. And so I just, I, it's such an interesting uh, story to look back at, you know, Apple even the original iPhone, like, was it a runaway success? Yeah. You know, it was the platform to go on to bigger and better, better things, but was it really a runaway success? And what about the headset that went with it that flopped, but then 10 years later was reinvented, came back and became a big success. So just the whole story about, you know, not everything goes exactly according to plan. How can you learn from the things that do go well and learn from the things that don't go well? and improve on them and iterate on them and, and move forward so that you, you know, continue to get better and better. And I think Apple was wonderful at that. Now, I love hearing that insight because again, I'm thinking about the headphones that would always come in, in an iPhone. You'd get the pair of headphones. They were, they would, and they were good headphones. I mean, they were really good. And then all, and now the AirPods are just, those same headphone designs without the the wires on them. It's incredible. Rusty, I, I would be remiss if we didn't end this episode like we do every episode. Share with this audience the biggest piece of intentional encouragement that you have. The, the thing I would like to share is that for all your listeners is that you can achieve more than you think you can achieve. Uh, and, you know, Apple and the iPhone is a great example of that. Um, 
you know, we didn't get all into all of the details, but the, for me personally, I've experienced that navigating a very difficult divorce and ultimately becoming a coach. I never would have seen that in my future. And you as a listener, you can also achieve what you would love to achieve in your life. Uh, the, the, the path to getting there is to be intentional and open up your sense of possibility about what you can do in your life and what you would love to have in your life because you can absolutely have it. And just embracing that as if nothing else, just to walk away with that one truth that you can have what you want in your life, despite any hesitations or concerns you might feel about that. You really can experience that and being willing to open your mind to that corner of possibility and start to explore Hmm. If I really could have anything I would want in my life, what would that be? And how could I take a step forward towards it? Because you absolutely can. Rusty Gaylord, this has been tremendous. And, 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 and you know what? This, I'm so glad you said that. Who would have ever, I would have never imagined a year ago, and we're coming up on a year as we record this, of the Intentional Encourager podcast loss, launching that we would have over a hundred episodes and that, that I would get to talk to the former worldwide director of finance for Apple. I mean, this is just, this is kind of blowing my mind right now. But again, I love what you said there about achieving more than you think you can achieve. That's what a great way to finish this incredible podcast. Rusty, tell folks how they can connect with you and, and get involved with you. There might be somebody that says, hey, I want Rusty to coach me. That'd be awesome. So tell folks how to, to get involved with you and connect with you. Yeah, so uh, you mentioned LinkedIn. Uh, that's a great way to find me. Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Rusty Gaylord. Um, I also, you can check out my website, which is svdreambuilders.com. SV stands for Silicon Valley. So Silicon Valley Dream Builders, svdreambuilders.com. You can find me there as well. Either of those are great. And uh, from there, you can get in touch with me directly. And I'd love to chat. Rusty, this has been awesome. Um, I've loved our conversation today. It's, And I hope the audience, I hope you guys have enjoyed it as well. Rusty Gaylord, G-A-I-L-L-A-R-D. Connect with him on LinkedIn. Go to svdreambuilders, D-R-E-A-M. B-U-I-L-D-E-R-S, svdreambuilders.com. Rusty, thank you so much for joining us today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thanks, Brian. It's been great. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.